Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of the Foot Features podcast series. I'm John Turner, the head of the middle school here at Foot, and we're glad you're with us today for the first of an anticipated uh, exciting season. New episodes should appear about once a month in the Foot School podcast feed, so be sure to look for them as this school year rolls along. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Michael Milburn, who has taught at Foot for 25 years now. He is, outside of his work with our students, an accomplished essayist and poet, having published a book of essays and three books of poetry. Michael has been the sole instructor of ninth grade English for quite a number of years, and whenever our young alumni return to Foot, many will share that they have never had a teacher quite like Mr. Milburn, even in the years beyond Foot. And yet, because he works at Foot part-time, some people who know our school well would say they've never even met him. Some might wonder if he's even real. But I can tell you that he's real because he's joined me for, here for today's conversation. Welcome, Michael Milburn. Michael, as we get things rolling here, get things started, I'm wondering if you can share just a little bit about your story, how you came to foot school, and how you settled into the role you have now with our ninth grade students. Sure. Um, I came to foot in 1994, which was the year I moved to New Haven. And um, I had applied to just about every independent school in the area. And on the basis that I had also attended independent schools for middle school and high school, I went to a K through nine school very much like foot on Long Island and then on to another independent school for high school um, and when I came for my interview I already had uh, an offer of two classes at the Educational Center for the Arts the Magnet High School in New Haven so I was looking for something part-time and it turned out that foot had a section of ninth grade English and a section of seventh grade English that uh, needed filling so I accepted those, and I taught the ninth grade English with Bob Sandine and the seventh grade English with Barbara Riley, uh, which sprint off to ECA after class and then sprint back to foot to uh, coach three seasons of sports in the afternoon for about the first three years that I was at foot. Mm-hmm. And you've settled into uh, being the ninth grade teacher. You've sort of uh, kind of found your home in that space. I wonder if you can talk about working with ninth graders on that cusp of the high school years. I, I think that pretty much anybody who has taught at uh, a middle school or high school level level for more than a year or so um, would say that, that you really can't find the degree of energy and wit and irreverence and just general openness to not necessarily learning specifics of a subject, but just to sort of learning about the world and life that you find among uh, 12, 13, 14 year olds. Um, And I have loved teaching the uh, upper years of high school. I've loved teaching college, but there's something about walking into a ninth grade classroom that really um, I haven't been able to let it go. And as you say, they they are on a, a sort of developmental cusp. And I find that ninth graders are able to read adult books and they're able to have adult discussions and that has kept me more than more than intellectually satisfied for all these years. Awesome. You talked a little bit about uh, your own formative years being in an independent school, um, independent schools as you as you grew up. Do you find that you draw on that experience for inspiration as a teacher at specific moments, specific instances that um, you recall as you think about uh, what has shaped you in the classroom? I definitely do, but um, not to diminish my my own teachers, I almost do it in a reactive way. I was a very bored student. Um, I have a, a, a great concentration when I'm reading and writing, but I have a very poor concentration for being talked to. And I usually found when I was in middle and high school that I was a, a big clock watcher. 
And I think that I react against that experience in my teaching by gearing it toward the least attentive kid in the class. And I do try to vary my activities and make things lively. So um, I learned a lot in my education. Uh, my teachers were great. They were expert. They were rigorous. Um, but I never had anybody who really sort of made a subject come alive for me. And I sort of used that as my aspiration to try to do that with my students. I know you have a, a fondness for uh, the character John Keating in the Dead Poets Society, and I wonder if you can sort of speak to that a little bit about it as a driver. I, I think that um, any English teacher, especially in an independent school, who wasn't inspired by that character in that movie um, was not paying attention. Um, and I, he, he is a semi-fictional character, and it is Robin Williams sort of going overboard a little bit, but there are elements of the sort of uh, way he uh, taught poetry and sort of took his kids outside and did all sorts of fun things that um, I have, have definitely uh, modeled some of my course activities on. And when you speak of course activities, I know that your ninth grade students come you know, to your class with a bit of wonder. They've heard of you for a while. They're not quite sure what to expect. And and I think that remains true for uh, the classes, you know, when they, you know, after a week or a month, they, they realize that they don't know what to expect of your classes from a day-to-day -day basis, uh, that there might be a topic, an activity, a twist to a discussion that sort of keeps them maybe off balance, off axis a little bit. And, and I, I know that that's something you, you work towards. And I wonder just how you go about planning the work you do and the lessons that you bring forward. Well, I, I try to uh, do activities that feel risky to me, that I'm sort of walking into class uh, thinking, don't do this, or if this fails, you'll be really embarrassed, or how are you going to connect this to the curriculum? And if I'm feeling that way, then I know that will communicate itself to the students, and they'll feel a little bit energized about what we're doing. Um, and after a few years of doing a particular exercise like that, when I know it's worked, I try to force myself not to go back to that. Um, uh, at the beginning of the year, I, I always draw a pig on the board in the Harkness room and give it lots more legs than the pig actually has. And what I'm trying to um, schematize is my full year course. And the body of the pig is a, a sort of pork and potatoes part of what we have to do in the fr high school freshman English class of critical writing and critical thinking and discussing. And all the extra legs are the activities I do just based on um, things that interest me, like movies and songs and uh, spoken word poetry. So within each class, I try to vary everything. So if we're doing 20 minutes on creating a thesis statement for an essay, we get to play a song and talk about the lyrics or look at a movie clip in, in there too. So I'm definitely thinking about variety. Again, that inattentive kid who may only have 20 minutes of thesis statement generation in him or her and needs a switchover. Fantastic. And you, you talk about sort of stretching your own comfort zone or when you feel comfortable with something after a couple of years, an activity, an assignment, you force yourself to switch that up. I know that's true for books as well. Um, the books that you read in your class uh, represent sort of an ever-changing library of what's new and fresh in literature and young adult literature. Uh, a couple of years ago, I know you had a goal of uh, reading an entire new book list than the year before. Um, I wonder if you can talk about book selection, how you go about that, um, what you're looking for, how you build a year for your students in the literature that you read. Right. Well. I do have to change up a lot, having done this for 25 years. 
Um, and I uh, basically the key is just to read, read, read. And as as I said, the ninth graders are capable of reading uh, books that are written for adults, so their capabilities overlap with my capabilities. When I'm reading for pleasure, I'm always thinking about would this work in class. I'm always looking for the perfect book written for adults that would engage a ninth grade reader. Um, now within that frame, I do try to vary things by gender, by background, by a whole bunch of different factors. Um, so during the course of the year, uh, we might read, for example, we just uh, finished reading Eleanor and Park, a young adult novel about two teenagers falling in love. Our next book is Born a Crime, the memoir of Trevor Noah growing up in apartheid South Africa. So that's the kind of variety that I'm looking for throughout the year. Fantastic. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the space in which you teach. Uh, the, you teach um, in the Harkness Room, room uh, 203 of the Jonathan Milikowski Science and Technology Building. I know that building uh, has a special um, importance to you, uh, but then also the room in which you teach also um, reflects who you are as a teacher, but also in some regards it was built for your class. Um, and I wonder if you can maybe speak to the building and then talk a little bit about teaching at that, uh, that Harkness table, that uh, large oak seminar uh, table and how that shapes you as a teacher. Right. Uh, I, I love teaching in that building. Um, I taught John Milikowski and both his siblings. And uh, he, he was sort of the classic foot ninth grader in the sense that I think he and his siblings both stayed for foot purely out of um, affection for the school and interest in the ninth grade program. I don't think English was his favorite or even his best subject. And I um, I really like teaching students who may have interests and talents other than in reading and writing, but who enjoy my class and possibly keep on reading after the class. So he was an ideal student in that sense. Um, in terms of the Harkness Room, I think it was probably like 15 years ago that Jay Cox started telling me he was going to build me a Harkness table because I believe he grew up on the Exeter campus, which is where they began. Um, the main influence that particularly the table it's had on my teaching, is it's made my class much more discussion-based. And I think those alums that you're talking about would probably say the core of the class is just us sitting around the table talking about books. In my previous classrooms, I tended to be up at the board writing down what kids said, which I think was less instructive to them than just sort of an anxiety release for me that I could be moving and turning away if I need to look nervous. Um, but now I pretty much sit at the table and we talk and the kids can see each other. Nobody's talking to the back of the head. And it seems much more like a book group to me. Another uh, feature on our campus is the uh, what people call the 9-11 cenotaph or the sculpture that um, sits between the, the main building of our campus and the middle school buildings, uh, that sculpture that has excerpts of poetry uh, written by your students I mean, reflection of the events of 9-11, certainly something that also holds a, an importance for you uh, on this campus. It does. It's very nice to have such a, a conspicuous, visible, visual object that grew out of one of my ninth grade classes that I can pass by every day if I ever sort of need reassurance about the permanence of what I'm doing. Um, the sculpture mainly makes me think about Ali Kubler, who was the uh, longtime chair of the then English department and along with Jean Lamont was responsible for hiring me. And she was my mentor for my first years at Foot. And I, I remember just after for 10 minutes and 10 days and 10 months after uh, 
the 9-11 event, her and I talking about what had happened and talking about whether we could do something with poetry that would memorialize it. And her husband, Edward, is an architect and a visual artist, and he came up with the idea for how the panels would look, and he procured the materials. Um, and we knew that we wanted poetry on the panels. I think we were somewhat inspired by the Vietnam Memorial in Washington. And um, it was just a basic writing prompt. The kids obviously didn't know that their words might be inscribed on these panels forever. Um, and Allie and I were very nervous about whether the writing that they did would go work on the panels. Um, and we were very pleased when we looked at it and we saw all these lines we could pluck out and how eloquent they would be along with the initials up there. And speaking of sort of lasting memories for our students, uh, many of them uh, recall deeply fondly the time they spend at the end of your course uh, as they prepare for the poetry cabaret that um, is the culminating activity for the students. For those who um, haven't seen the poetry cabaret or don't know a whole lot about it, um, it serves as the final exam for our students in ninth grade and uh, it is the way in which they celebrate all that they've learned. Uh, they present a, a you know, largely two-hour uh, uh, cavalcade of spoken word poetry and other performances. How has that come about and how does that reflect who you are? As a, as a thinker, as a teacher, as a, a molder of these young people? Well, I think the cabaret could only happen at foot, where a, a final exam in English is replaced by a completely creative performance that um, is basically dictated by the students. Um, and the, the part of the cabaret that I think uh, sort of represents it best is usually about four weeks into the rehearsal there always comes a point when the students sort of take ownership of it and I'll have students come up to me and say that they've written something that they want to perform or they want to do something often it will be something I wouldn't have imagined that this particular student would do last last year a quite serious and quiet student offered to sing a a sort of a silly song and I thought wow that's great I wouldn't have pegged you to do this um, and he pulled it off magnificently it ended up being the finale of the cabaret um, so I for, for me personally it's the one time when my creative writing is at one with my creative teaching I find that working with the kids and shaping the cabaret and sort of coaxing them to do this or you know understanding when they won't do that um, is I'm sort of creating something that's as um, satisfying to me as writing a poem. Very cool. Um, I want to wrap things up, Michael, by asking you to look ahead for your students. Um, their time with you is often centered on you know, edgy, young adult, contemporary literature, uh, maybe some loud poems, some you know, discussions that you know, range from you know, uh, being very fun, maybe just a bit eclectic and the like. How do, would you say that their experience with you sets them up for going forward in their lives to take on the world and the challenges ahead of them? I think one goal I would have, which came to me as I was thinking about these, these questions, um, is that every uh, year that Barack Obama went on his summer vacation, he would publish his reading list. I, th I think he would very publicly go to a bookstore in Washington with his daughters and buy all the books he was going to read. And I was always struck by how many novels and works of poetry were on his list, along with a couple of policy books and biographies. Um, and I think that somewhere along the line, uh, President Obama, the, um, an, an independent school alum, 
um, was turned on to reading or not turned off to reading in a way that made him uh, think about literature as just as useful to him in his job as books of policy and biographies of previ previous presidents. So if I have a, a student who goes on to be a decision maker of, at that level, I would hope that reading a novel and um, the imaginative literature and the characters and the plots involved would be as helpful to making decisions about politics or science or government or anything as the actual uh, writings in their field. And finally, someone along the line um, saw uh, President Obama's writing and decided he had a gift and nurtured that gift, and he's put out a couple of very well-received memoirs. And on the, on the same basis, I would hope that a ninth-grade English class might play the role for someone who ends up doing some imaginative writing. Fantastic. Michael Monroe, it's a lot to think about uh, and a lot that you've shared with us today and I appreciate the chance to sit down with you. Um, I learned more, uh, but I hope the folks who've had a chance to tune in have learned more and uh, appreciate the time together. Thanks Thank very you, much. Thank you, John. Great.